Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. And we are coming to you almost live from (laughs) deepest, darkest, wettest, fuckiest Georgia. And I say almost live because we are literally recording this early in the a.m. on the morning that the show is due up. So by the time you're hopefully by the time you're hearing this, the the show just got recorded and just kind of slapped up on the web. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, God damn, man, that's no way to run a railroad. And you're absolutely right. But uh, there's a very good reason, which is Mother Nature hates us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we uh we we live in Georgia. I live in Fayetteville. Scott lives in Carrollton. Uh we're about an hour apart as a matter of fact. And <clears throat> for whatever reason because of the the climate that we live in between about March and I would say November we could at any minute get rain. And not only rain but because of of, of how the atmosphere is where we are we can get horrendous thunderstorms just blowing in from Mississippi, comes across Alabama, and I would have to say that it hates Scott's town more than mine. <laughs> My neighborhood specifically. Because Carrollton, whenever I turn on the news, because Rachel, my wife, when there's a thunderstorm approaching, wants to watch the news as much as we can to, to track when the storm's coming, uh, because she is petrified of them. And... Every time I turn on the news, there it is. Okay, it's coming across Carrollton now. Look, oh my God, it's raping Carrollton. Oh God, <laughs> it's holding Carrollton down and not even asking permission. It's just, like, I, yep. I don't know if it's because you're the first town out of Alabama that that really has people in it. But Jesus, I, yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I I've often wondered if this is it's like you know Christ is like Hitler buried here, or somebody did some horrendous crime that we're all paying for, or somebody opened the Ark of the Covenant, or what? But something's <laughs> entire, going on because the, the entire town is built on an Indian burial. Yeah, there you go. That's probably it. <laughs> You know, it's it's crazy, too, because my neighbor, you know, the reason I reference my neighborhood, I literally live in like freaking Tornado Alley, I swear to God, because twice now, and I'm not making this up, I'm not exaggerating, twice now we've had a hurricane come, or not a hurricane, but a tornado come right through our neighborhood and literally like wipe out places and stuff, and twice now our house has been like untouched. It's like we have this like bubble over our house where like the rest of the neighborhood is just all fucked up. Yeah. You better knock on some wood. Right yeah. Now. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> you know, well, the, the first one, the, the worst one of the two was the first one. And the first one came through. And I mean, 
you know, just down the street from us, places were like like leveled, you know, nothing left. And we've never we've never sustained any. I mean, we haven't even had so much as like a shingle blow off the house. So I mean, we are we are truly blessed. But it's crazy. I mean, well, well Sunday we were going to record, and there were thunderstorms in my neighborhood, and I've lost a computer to a thunderstorm. So I'm kind of paranoid, right, about lightning. <laughs> so right after I started dating my wife, I left my computer on. We went out. I came back, and the motherboard got fried. So uh, and I was without a computer for a couple of months. And last night we were going to record, but then you called me while I was at work, and it was just like, shit, man, you know, the, the, the weather just sucks. And it wasn't too bad here, but still, I don't want to take a chance of your computer getting wiped out or of being in the middle of recording and suddenly... That's what I was most afraid of, was <laughs> was um, that we'd be in the middle of it. Because that was the biggest problem here, was that the power kept flickering on and off, and every time it would, it would reset the computer. And I was like, you know, I don't want to be in the middle of a recording and then lose everything, so... Yeah, what a what a friggin' nightmare. Well, it's funny too because right after I called you and right after we were like, well, let's just forget it and let's do this another time. Then it cleared up, and I was like, God damn it, doesn't that figure? And I was I was thinking about calling you to get going again, and right about the time I was like, I'm gonna call him and just see what he's up to, and then the power flicked again, and I was like, Nope, never mind. It's <laughs> so like you know, he couldn't win for losing. And depending but, on what time, I was probably unconscious. So, but. We were able to to salvage uh, that other night because then uh, you know we were supposed to get together with a friend of ours and and record a, a special back to the bins, which I'm still hoping is is in the uh, queue for down the road. But uh, got my notes. We ended up getting together and uh, and we did uh, the first trivia night that we've done in a hell of a long time, and oh, it was fun. I I paid for it because. We ended up. Uh, I ended up not going to bed until probably about five o'clock that morning, and then right back up a couple hours later. So I was rough right after that. But man, it was a lot of fun, and uh, and I I believe Chris Honeywell is working on the audio for that and going to spin an episode of some one of our shows out of it anyway. So <laughs> you guys can listen for that. That should be that should be a blast because we 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 had all kinds of different trivia in there. It was a little Star Wars, a little Marvel comics, a little Disney. There was a little bit of everything in there. So it was, it was a hell of a lot of fun. But uh, today, well, before we get into that, oh okay, go uh, ahead. There, there's there's a couple things. Uh, well, there's one big thing I wanted to say, dude. You have been knocking it out of the park with the editing on this show recently. Thank you. Uh, the music, the comic book theme episode we did was just, it was everything I wanted it to be music wise. You, you, you layered in the music and you, you did the one thing that I know is, is cause you told me this is hardest of all is I would be sitting there mentioning like five different movies in a sentence <laughs> and you would find like a snippet from each score that made you not realize it is that score and managed to go over that. So bravo to you, sir. That was Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh and I enjoyed the last Starfighter theme over the ROM <laughs> comic. Uh even though my portion of the episode was wasn't scored. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm um, sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. No, no just... I was I actually really racked my brains for that, trying to come up with, with something and I just I came up totally dry and I was really trying to get the episode out you yeah. know, and and done very quickly because that was a 
I can't remember what the hell was going on that day or that week, but I, I just had a full plate. So I was trying to get it out quickly. But the, the ROM thing I had in my mind for a while because I wish I could find it. But quite a while ago on the main CGS board, a thing came up, uh, a forum topic came up. Something to the effect of like, what do you listen to while you read comics or something like that? And I was like the most verbose person in that threat because <laughs> I had a, you know, because my, I mean, I, I listen almost exclusively to film music. And so I had this laundry list of like every character, every team book, everything you could think of in comics right down to Rom the Space Knight. Of what I listen to while I read these particular books. I wish I could find that thread again because I can't remember what I wrote on a lot of them now. But I try to kind of theme what I listen to to what I'm reading. You know, you know, there's obvious ones like, you know, if I'm reading a Superman comic, then I'm more than likely listening to, you know, John Williams Superman music. But, you know, you get to some obscure ones like, you know, like, I don't know, like Secret Six or something. It's like, what do you listen to while you read that? You know, so I, I had all Danny these- Elfman's Mission Impossible score. Oh, that'd be a good one. That'd be a good one. <laughs> I forget what I did put down for that. I think I put something like uh, like thirteen days or uh, or Patriot Games or something like that, you know. But uh, a little little James Horner for that Patriot game. Did he, did James Horner? No, I know. Or, he no, did not Patriot Games. What what's the one? It's not Patriot Games. It's that third movie. Clear and Present Danger. That's it. Clear and Present Danger. Yeah, yeah I love that score. I don't know that I even own Patriot Games because I didn't like that movie very much. But uh, yeah, Clear and Present Danger. Great score. Great score by him. Which which is kind of funny because there's a there's a bit in that score during the scene where Harrison Ford is trying to catch the bad guy while he's online and he's yeah. trying to download a file and that bit of music is the same bit of music from when the iceberg hits the Titanic. Yeah, he do, he does that a lot, <laughs> a whole lot. And as James Lilacs, uh, host of a podcast called The Diner, when he was talking about this, when I, which is where I got all this from, uh, he's like, I should be able to tell the difference between, you know, that music's about file management, <laughs> and that music's about the death of the greatest ocean liner on the planet. So He does do that a lot, and I don't know if it's... I, I've heard a lot of people accuse him of laziness, and then other people, like me, tend to think it's more of... of um, you know, he's referencing himself or, or homaging himself or something like that. Well, I, I don't know how to feel about have, that. Composers have motifs. Yeah. They they have their, their signatures that they do again and again and again. Danny Elfman is a prime example of that. I mean, it's like boom, 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 boom. Oh, oh, boom. <laughs> I mean, you're going to hear that in just about every Elfman score. Yeah. Except things like Midnight Run where it just wouldn't fit. I remember the first time I noticed that with with James Horner though was uh there's a sequence in Cocoon where the old folks are headed toward the the mothership you know they're they're in the boat out at sea and there's an entire stretch that I don't it runs several minutes at least that is taken straight out of Star Trek 2 and I'm like, I mean, and it's note for note. I mean, he might as well have just, you know, cut and pasted it. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember the first time I noticed it, I was like, well, that's weird. You know, and I didn't know how to feel about it. And then it, it came, you know, came out later on that, yeah, he does that sort of thing all the time. Because there's a lot of, you now it's one of the reasons I like the Crawl soundtrack so much. Because it's it's really Star Trek 2, but just with a, a more... Uh. 
that opening theme is epic and crawl. Oh yeah, it's more epic than that movie really deserves. Yeah, you know, I after I got the soundtrack because I somebody somebody or other hooked me up with the the two disc. Oh, I don't yeah. I don't know if it's an official release or if it's a bootleg or what, but I, I have a two disc release of that, and I was listening to it over and over and really digging it and everything. And I was like, you know. I don't remember this movie for nothing. So I finally got a copy of the movie and watched it. And I was like, nah, it's okay. But the music is, you know, makes it seem like it's going to be so much more epic than, than it really is. Like you say, I've had that happen with a couple of movies where, because generally speaking, I don't, I don't get soundtracks unless I've seen the movie. You know, I don't listen to the music Mm -hmm. unless I've actually seen it. Um, But every once in a while I'll get one because I like the composer or whatever. And I'll listen to it. And I'm like, you know, I get so used to the music and so interested in the music that then I'll go and seek the movie out. And almost inevitably, the movie's a disappointment because I built the music up as <laughs> so much more in my head than what the movie turned out to be. That that god-awful Nightbreed movie was like that because I had the, the Elfman soundtrack. That was when I, I was like I, really – I that movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, not, not like – I don't love that movie, but that's one of those movies from when I was a teenager that I would watch again and again and again because HBO would run it like nightly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, it, it's a silly damn movie, but when you're 14 and there's this movie with all these people in fucked up makeup and you have some dude dressed up like the Invisible Man killing people, it, you know, it, it, it's awesome. It's, it's like Heathers well, in that respect. In fairness, I really don't remember much of it. I just remember watching it and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I was like, I don't even know what this movie's about. I was disappointed because the soundtrack is is really, really good. But that was when I was on my big Elfman. Well, he was on his way up anyway. You know, that was that was one of his early scores. But I was on this big Elfman kick and buying everything Elfman that was coming out, and I got that one. And that that was that may have been the very first soundtrack I ever got that where I violated my rule of of you know having had to have seen the movie first. I think that may have been the first one. And I just kept listening to it. And I listened to it for like years before I ever watched the movie. And then finally one day I was like, I got to watch this movie. And I watched it and I was like, wow, I want all that, <laughs> all what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but all of that was to say that I, that I have been really appreciative of the editing you've been putting, the editing time you've been putting into Back to the Bins. And it's, it's really coming off uh, – and making the show more enjoyable. It's like, it's like when I listen to it, I can appreciate it. Because usually when, usually I only listen to things that I record to make notes of what I've screwed up <laughs> and what I can do better. You know, just kind of like, because I'm hard on myself like that. But uh, but with Back to the Bins, it's like, oh, it's like a whole new experience. I remember recording this, but there wasn't all this awesome music or whatever <laughs> Now, see, you would have to say both of these things in in the episode that I'm not going to get a chance to edit or score. <laughs> oh yeah, this this is back to the bins in the raw, folks. Yep. Chuck Sheffy, a good friend of mine, uh, who Scott met at my birthday get together, uh, suggested at that party. You know, let's just do you know just do a raw episode, just just you two recording and don't edit anything. Congrats. Yep. Here, here you, you go. go. <laughs> but we got a good one here. We we really do. I, I was yes, excited. I do. I very much appreciate you saying that, though. Thank you. You make me feel good because, uh, you know, for the most part, Back to the Bins is supposed to be the easiest thing that we do because really the, the full intent, and nine times out of ten, I'll be honest, it, it does come down to this, is that it's literally 
you know, hack off any, you know, edit out any preamble before we actually get into the show, edit out any posts, you know, basically pick a stopping point and cut everything else off, slap on the opener, slap on the closer, you're done. But over time, that's that's kind of felt lazy to me, you know, because I, I'm I'm just meticulous that way. I want to edit out, you know ums and ahs and awkward pauses and you know hang on a minute man i gotta go take a piss kind of stuff and you know and i i find i'm doing this a lot lately i'm doing that that sound with my teeth you know oh man me too i I hate that but i can't seem to break myself of it but so i try to edit that kind of shit out but it adds a lot of time too so that's supposed this is supposed to be the show that's that is rawer than everything else that we do. So, so we're, you're, you're getting that this episode because <laughs> I'm, we're not going to have time to edit a goddamn thing. So you're going to hear the fuck ups and us bad mouthing people. And you're going to hear us fight and argue like the tabloids have been reporting that we do behind the scenes. And, and we do, and everything they say is true, except the part where, you know, Scott and I are sleeping together because we sleep in separate beds now because things have gotten that bad. Yep. Yeah, one time, and you know, then just goes to hell. <laughs> Why did I even feed that rumor mill anyway? <laughs> I do that because you thought it would get us press and people would listen to the show, and <laughs> they think we're gays. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That was the most bizarre tangent ever. <laughs> it was. It was awkward and strange, and now I just want to hang up and go take a shower. Like a Karen Silkwood shower. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not- like like a like a like a. Um, now I fucked up my own joke because I can't remember the the movie the the Indiana Jones thing the the Crystal Skull shower. Oh, yeah. scrubbing <laughs> the crystal, his scrubbing the crystal his Crystal Skull shower. Yeah. For <laughs> <laughs> not hiding in the refrigerator. <sighs> Refrigerators can survive atomic explosions. Thank you, George Lucas. I am really looking forward to this issue, I have to say. Man, because yeah, I, I'm really appreciative of you sending it to me. It's falling apart. <laughs> but uh, but well, I'm, I'm glad it. you point that out because you, you had said something about that the other night when I talked to you. You're like, man, thank you so much for sending it. And I'm thinking, dude, I sent you like the rattiest ass, coverless, falling <laughs> apart copy, but... You know, I mean, because I bought a, a new copy of this off of eBay recently because I I love this issue and just wanted a nice covered copy of it, you know, that was in, in good condition and everything. And then, so after I got it, I was like, I know Mike would love this story. So I was a little bit embarrassed to send you such a ratty copy, but no. I knew you would like it. So No, it, the story was the important thing, really. I, I just wanted to read it. And uh, I really, that's why I am right now, uh, there's an auction going on where I'm trying to grab a, a nice copy of it. Because I need to fill out my world's finest collection anyways. Oh, uh, look on my Facebook thing. That, that's that's Somebody... the one I'm... Oh, is it? okay, okay. Yeah, that's the one I'm bidding on. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, because I want to give credit where credit's due. And Jose. I want to say it was Jose, yeah, Jose Rivera sent me a link. Because mm-hmm. I, I, maybe he was thinking I didn't get a copy yet. Or I think maybe I mentioned I was looking for it the other day on, I don't know. Facebook or the forum or somewhere that I was hunting a copy of this. So I, th- I think he was trying to help me out, which uh, which I really appreciated. But I, I did manage to snag one. 
I think I, I want to say I paid five bucks for this, which is a lot more than I really wanted to pay for it. But it turns out that it is just, it is awesome. It, it'll be worth it. That's if I win this auction, because I really don't have a whole lot of money right now. I, I, I just did the minimum bid. Uh, it'll be around $5. And I think after reading the book that it's well worth it. I really do. It's, it's one of those few instances these days where it's like, God, do I have to pay more than 50 cents for this thing? Because... I can't I, believe the back issue prices on this. I, we haven't revealed the title yet, and I want to hold off on that for just a moment. But seriously, man, I mean, you know, for for a title that I've really long considered kind of a throwaway book, especially because it's not really continuity relevant anymore, the the back issues of this are climbing like crazy. I mean, they're it, it's getting harder and harder to find like the the fifty cent and dollar issues of this. I mean, on mm-hmm. they're going for for hefty prices, which really surprises me because almost all the issues I've I've got of this series, I bought in this lot. That uh, when when we were kids, Chris and I, there was a, a used bookstore in Watertown that for a while started selling comic books on commission. And somebody brought in this huge lot of this title, which was, I don't know, it was a lot of issues. I want to say it was like maybe 40, 50 issues, something like that. And I bought it for a song. And now, I mean, I can't believe the the prices for some of these back issues. Well, really and truly, you you have to look at the whole, you have to look at it as every 10 years... 30 year, 20 to 30 years ago gets expensive. That's right, yeah. In the 80s, the Silver Age 60s book, like the 56 through 1970s books, started getting expensive. But you could get books from the 70s for like a dollar a piece yeah. in back issues. And then in the 90s, the 60s books were like blue chips. You bought that, you know it was going to go up in value. And slowly as the decade wore on, the 70s books started getting more expensive. Because in 96, I bought, we're going to be discussing this on a future episode of Back to the Men's, the Steel series. Yeah. Uh, the Indestructible Man. I got those for a, for a dollar a piece, but I missed one issue, right? Are we doing that on Back to the Men's or are we doing that on Tales? Uh, we were going to do it. It's going to be a special episode. Oh, to that's right. Into Tying tales. into Tales. That's right. So, that's that's uh, kind of what's going on with this episode, to be honest. When, yeah. when we when we get to that point, I'll I'll talk about that. But uh, about five six years ago, I discovered that I didn't get that last issue, that issue number five. So I went back to Titans to get it, and they had changed the price on it. And this was literally like six years later, it jumped like three dollars in price. And I started noticing that all the '70s books last decade were starting to get more and more and more expensive. So, and the 80s books started jumping up in price. So my goal for this decade is to get as many 90s books as I possibly can because I'm just afraid that next decade, 10 years from now, those are just going to get more and more and more expensive. Yeah, yeah that you're makes right. any sense. It does. It does. No, I, this, this is what keeps happening because it, it's... I, I still can't wrap my mind around the fact of 1980 being... 30 years ago, but it, it is. And yeah. it's over 30 years since empire strikes. Man. How yeah. about that? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Harder for you than Scary. me. I would say it, it, it is because uh, I, I mean, I don't know about harder, but it is hard for me because it just doesn't, 
it doesn't feel like that long ago. And I, my my memories of of events in 1980, both both public and personal, you know, are are very clear. You know, and oh, yeah. uh, it's it's really uh, it, it's just unbelievable. It was that long ago already. Time time really does get away from you. And all of our younger audience is like, what are they talking about? It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I wasn't born until 1998, man. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, Ten, ten years from now, good luck. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. But uh, now this book, um, you were talking about how we're, we're going to do Steel, and it's going to be somewhat of a tie-in to, uh, to Tales. This kind of works out that way, because originally I wanted to cover this book on Tales, but after reading it and really examining it, I find that it really only has the most tenuous of connections to not only Earth 2, but also to kind of our mandate on on Tales and what we're honestly covering over there. So, um, But because I, I, I had read it and enjoyed it so much, I, I didn't want to just let it slip past without talking about it in some fashion. So we decided to do... Um, I guess you could call this a special episode of, of Back to the Bins, only because we're we're covering one book... That we've both read and we both come into it knowing what what it you know what the book is and what we're covering. So, um, for this particular episode, we are taking a look at World's Finest. This is issue number two seventy one. Um, now, this sort of thing always drives me crazy. They call it the two hundredth anniversary issue. <laughs> that shit drives me crazy because an anniversary, to my understanding is a celebration of one year. So that would mean that this would be 200 years of the Superman Batman team. No, well, it's not. It's 200 issues because the no, Superman And it's not even that. Oh, is it not? Because for a time in like the late oh, 60s, yeah. this yeah. just became a Superman team up title. So Yeah. But that was for what? That was like a year, something yeah. like that. But yeah, I mean what they're doing basically is they're counting from World's Finest 71, which is really where the, the Superman-Batman team-up aspect of, of World's Finest really came you know, into the full. Because before that point, which is so odd to, to think about, they shared the title, but they shared it separately. It was an anthology. Mm-hmm. With you know, it had a Superman story, it had a Batman story, but they didn't they didn't cross over. They didn't team up. And it wasn't until 71 that they teamed up, and then it became a team up book. So this is a, a celebration of that, basically 200 issues of that more or less, you know, if you subtract out some of the Superman solo stuff, um, this is the September 1981 issue. Are we ready to just jump right into this at this point? Yeah, let, let, let's do the synopsis. And uh, then we've got, oh God, I got a lot of notes. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. one. I, I think the audience is going to get a kick out of this one. Cause this really is a, a fantastic book. Um, so we've got an awesome cover by George Perez that shows – it's this really cool cover. It's hard to describe it. I'll try to describe it. It shows four different covers of comics that have featured team-ups with uh, Batman and Superman. You've got a couple of World's Finest covers. You've got a Superman cover. It's a Superman 76, the one where uh, Superman's flying towards Lois. And on the other side, Batman's swinging towards Lois. And they're both trying to rescue her at the same time. You've got an issue of Adventure Comics where uh, – where young Batman and uh, 
or rather young Bruce Wayne and young Clark Kent are like spying on their future selves by the time telescope thing. It's really cool. And then busting through that is Batman, Superman and Robin drawn by uh, George Perez. So it's really cool. It says revealed at last the secret origins of Comicton's greatest team. So, this... so now see the film Superman two. Oh yeah. Yep. Up at the top. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> see, this was the era I was actually really, really fully delving and in getting into comics. This was, this is right in my wheelhouse of when I was getting serious as a young person to start collecting books. So, uh, this one's written by Roy Thomas. Penciled by Rich Buckler, one of my faves. Inked by uh, Frank McLaughlin. Also, there's a uh, special thanks given in this one to Jack C. Harris and E. Nelson Bridwell. And, you know, God, I miss that guy. I wish he was still around. I really do. So the story is entitled The Secret Origins of the Superman and Batman Team. So we start the story. While children in third world countries starve and buses full of nuns plummet off cliffs, Superman is at home in bed asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd like that. (laughs) You know, I know he probably needs to sleep because he probably needs to dream, but does this not bother you when you see stories like this of Superman, like, not doing Superman stuff? You know, out saving uh, people. No, but it's funny when people point it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I guess he deserves downtime just like anybody else. But I just I I can't help but think about when I when I open a book and I see Superman asleep, I can't help but think about what's probably going on in the world right now. Somewhere somebody's dying. You know, it it just I don't know. I know it's not fair, but I can't help but my mind goes that way. Anyway. He's asleep and dreaming, and it's not one of those awesome Clark, Lois, Lana, three-way type of dreams either. No, he's dreaming of receiving a massive dose of good old green K poisoning from an uh, awesomely attired costumed bad guy who identifies himself as the Ataman. And that's not Adam Man, it's Ataman. It's A-T-O-M-A-N, Ataman. So just as Adaman delivers the killing blow in his dream, Superman wakes screaming, No! Or all Darth Vader style. At least that's the way I like to imagine it anyway. But, he- <laughs> but he's okay, though. He's just shaken. And he talks to himself about how thankful he is for the post-hypnotic suggestion that he places on himself each night. Otherwise, the building might have been leveled. I thought that was really cool. I like that. I like that there's actually like an explanation given for how he can toss and turn and not like destroy everything. So anyway, restless and bothered by the mysterious figure in his dream, Superman decides to watch some boob tube. And the news is on and our hero learns of a raging fire at the Victory Building, so named because it was dedicated on VJ Day in 1945. That's kind of sort of relevant, I guess, uh, in Gotham City. So Batman shows up on the scene, and in an awesome buckler panel, Superman streaks off to assist his chum. And in a blink, Superman is on the scene. The Man of Steel douses the fire with the contents of a handy nearby water tower, then lands and asks his buddies uh, to ask his buddies' help in doping out his weird dream. Just then, the firefighters call everyone's attention to a strange metal coffin they've located in the burned-out building. Superman recognizes the lightning bolt symbol on it as the one on Adam Man's chest in his weird dream, 
when suddenly, throom, the casket explodes, uh, throwing deadly shards everywhere. But Superman spreads wide his cape and protects the normals because that's what Superman does. But it costs him. He's now strangely weak and powerless, barely able to raise his head as the figure, uh, excuse me, as a figure emerges from the smoke and rubble. A glowing man with a German accent, the Ataman. Batman, believing the dude uh, to be one of Superman's robots, and an explanation is forthcoming on that, folks. Don't worry. Uh, he lays into him. But Ataman is more than a match for the Dark Knight detective, taking out the Batman and the firefighter's fire engine just to be a prick. Ataman streaks off into the sky. Superman, meanwhile, passes out. And he again dreams while he's passed out. This time, however, he dreams of a Clark Kent who stands at a pier as requested in a letter he had received. Spying a boy lying hurt in a boat out in the bay, this Clark Kent changes to a Superman that readers familiar with the DC multiverse of this time would recognize as the Earth 2 Superman. Superman rescues the boy and learns that he is Robin, the boy wonder. Turns out that Robin sent the letter seeking Superman's assistance because the Batman has disappeared and Robin uh, wound up injured while out looking for him. Superman and Robin follow some clues and wind up in a wax museum where they eventually find the Batman uh, made up to look like just another wax figure. Superman shadow shatters the wax alloy shell around the Cape Crusader and the three heroes take out the trash. And so Superman wakes up from his dream just as a doctor is pronouncing him DOA. I thought that was kind of cool, too. He uh, scoops up Batman and they fly off to confer. Superman shares his dreams with Batman and the two try to puzzle meaning out of all of it. Superman's bothered because one dream, the Adamant one, came true, sort of. But the other is not at all how the, how the two heroes really met, which naturally spurs another flashback of said tale. So Superman reflects back on his days in Smallville as Superboy and his meeting with a mysterious young man whom he learned was out to uncover his real identity. Turns out the mysterious young man was, of course, Bruce Wayne, building his detective skills. He did uncover Superboy's secret ID, but shared the knowledge with no one. Batman, nursing the wounds he received at the hands of Adaman, uh, expresses his thanks that Robin wasn't part of all this, which reminds Superman that, technically, he'd met Robin even before he'd met Bruce Wayne. So once, uh, Robin had come a-calling on Superman in his Fortress of Solitude, only to find the Cape Kryptonian dying from injuries suffered when an old trophy clock of his that secretly contained a kryptonite bomb inside blowed up. Robin... Uh, not giving two shits for paradoxes in the time-space continuum and cosmic unravelings and all that jazz, travels back in time, teams up with Superboy, and long story short, changes history. Now, there's no two ways around this. Despite what Batman and Superman say later, the frigging kid changed history. I got a real, <laughs> I got a real kick out of that. Um, that's supposed to not be able to to happen in this era of DC, but it's clearly what does happen in the course of the story. So then Superman recounts the first real meeting of himself and Batman. I guess this means that maybe the Superboy story he just reflected on doesn't count somehow. I don't know. It's it really starts to get a little bit confusing anyway, <laughs> or is it just me? Did you think it got a little, no, it is. 
I have some notes about this, okay. so I don't want to get into it. <laughs> well, basically, what, what, yeah, I should probably save this for the notes thing, but I think basically what it is is that they were trying to make sense of a lot of convoluted history, and I applaud him for trying to do it because Roy Thomas does that better than just about anybody, but in certain aspects, I don't know that a lot of sense could be made of some of it, but... Anyway, it seems that uh, Bruce Wayne, as a boy, actually came to live and go to school in Smallville for a time after the uh, the death of his parents, and even won the adoration of Lana Lang. One day, as the... Uh, what the hell? I'm sorry. Hang on a second. My antivirus thing is asking me if I want to reboot. No, I don't want to reboot. Okay. Uh, one day, as the couple are out walking... Now, the couple is Lana Lang and Bruce Wayne. Uh, while they're out walking, they witness a tank busting into the Smallville Savings Bank. Lana has Bruce don one of her father's Explorer trophies, which is a witch doctor costume. That, by the way, looks a hell of a lot like an orange bat cape and cowl. And he foils the... Coincidence? I think not. Oh, I don't think so. And <laughs> he foils the bank robbers. Meanwhile, Bruce, uh, he asks Lana to the prom, and she agrees... If he can find out who Superboy really is, he already knows, you'll remember, but he needs proof to give to Lana. So again, long story short, he does get his proof, but he makes friends with Superboy in the process. And Superboy shows Bruce uh, on his time telescope that one day they'll become best buddies and all and willfully reveal their secret identities to each other. So Bruce agrees to be mind wiped. Now, take note of that, Identity Crisis fan. He actually agrees to be fine <laughs> so that he'll forget what he knows of Superboy and Clark Kent. Later, Superboy likewise wipes his own memory of knowledge of Bruce and Batman, which explains why, when the two meet again in the Adventures of Superboy title, they don't remember each other. Now, to Superman's mind, he knew uh, nothing of his friend until the Batman began fighting crime in Gotham City and making headlines. Superman interrupts all this reminiscing when, when his superheroing picks up news of the Adaman on another rampage in Metropolis. Batman tags along. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. My wife was talking to me. Oh, okay. I thought it's raw, everybody. <laughs> Batman uh, tags. Oh, I'm sorry. Just to excuse uh, myself, if you guys hear some really odd sounds in the background, my father-in-law is mowing the lawn right now. So. <laughs> I do apologize. I thought I was on mute. Apparently, I wasn't. But oh, no. you wanted raw, so raw. It's raw. No, that's cool. I just I thought you were trying to jump in there for a second. I wanted to to give you the the room to jump. Uh, where was I here? Okay, so Batman tags along and wonders to himself why Superman hasn't yet mentioned the costume Adam Man was wearing and how it appears to be the very same outfit Superman once designed for a robot of his called Power Man. Now, I wonder if this robot ever sweet said Christmas. Yeah, I'm hoping that it said sweet Christmas at least one time, but probably not. Batman goes on daydreaming, and we get the flashback tale of the first time Superman and Batman met as adults. Seems that he and Robin were flying high in the Batplane uh, bound for Metropolis to warn Superman about a kryptonite smuggling ring. Robin was excited about the prospect of meeting the Man of Steel, and they witness a helicopter making off with an armored car and are giving chase when who should show up but the Big Red S himself. And 
he only he's quickly taken out by a spray of liquid green K, which I thought was very funny and plummets out of the sky. So Batman power dives his plane, snatches up Superman and he and Robin, they rig up this, this contraption where they literally drag Superman via a tether through a waterfall to wash off the, the kryptonite off of his uniform. It's, it's very clever. He not. just needs to sleep it off. Yeah. <laughs> so, Saved and revitalized, Superman is pleased to make the uh, dynamic duo's acquaintance, and a partnership and friendship is forged. The case is resolved when Batman and Superman actually switch identities and foil the bad guys. And I'm going to comment a little bit on that later on. Uh, Superman snaps Batman back to the here and now by asking why he's so lost in thought, or what he's so lost in thought about. Batman tells his buddy that he can't believe he hasn't mentioned Adaman having the same costume as Power Man. And Superman offers a simple, Duh, I forgot. <laughs> but Batman is right. The costumes wow. were identical. And, well, you know, he, he, that's pretty much all he says. Gee, I forgot about that. Which is very odd for Superman because he's supposed to have this, like, super memory. You know, like this computer-like memory. So it's, it's really strange. Um... Batman speculates that therein may lie the answer to this riddle. But Superman can't recall his inspiration for the robot's costume. It just sort of came to him, he says. Arriving in Metropolis, Superman is pissed to find Adaman atop the Daily Planet building, holding the globe aloft and challenging Superman to a battle to the death. If he doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, if he doesn't accept, Adaman will destroy Metropolis piece by piece. In Perry White's office, the chief wonders aloud to Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane, just where the blazes Superman could be. Is he really afraid of this Adaman creep? And that's where I pick it up, where we find Superman forming a lead shield and flying towards the Daily Planet building as Lois and John Q. Citizens watch on. Steve Lombard continues to be the biggest douchebag, I mean, continues to report from the rooftop, <laughs> and unfortunately has not been killed yet. Superman asks what Adam Man's quarrel with him is, and Adam Man tells Superman not to lie to him and throws the globe at the Man of Steel. Superman to, manages to shatter the globe into dust, but it also destroys his shield. Meanwhile, Batman makes the biggest blunder of his career and doesn't let Steve Lombard get killed, while Adam Man pummels <laughs> Superman mercilessly. I thought you would like that. I, the, the part where he's swinging away with the cameraman and Lombard <laughs> under his arms, I, I, I could totally forgive Batman if he accidentally <laughs> Whoops, let Lombard oh, it to his death. I, I slipped. I'm sorry. My bad. You didn't see anything of this, right, Mr. Cameraman? How'd you like to retire right now? <laughs> I'm going to need the tape out of that camera, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to write you a check. Why does it say from the bank of Bruce Wayne? Shut up! Um, <laughs> that's Earth 15, by the way. Uh, where, where Batman is a douchebag college frat boy. Um, seeing his friend in deadly danger, Batman yells out that killing Superman here wouldn't be as spectacular as killing him in front of the whole nation. Thanks, Batman! Adam Man agrees and announces that he will finish the battle with Superman the next day, flings the Man of Tomorrow towards the ground, and announces that they will fight at Sportsman Stadium before flying away. Batman helps Superman to his feet and leaves despite Lois and Jimmy's objections. And I have to say that Jimmy's outfit of a green sport coat and a turtleneck 
is totally like four years too late as, as far <laughs> as shows go. As the news people, including douchebag Steve Lombard, react to the challenge, also noting that it's not Sportsman Stadium, it's Metropolis Stadium, Bruce, quote-unquote, sneaks Clark into his hotel room, though the doorman recognizes him anyway. Once inside, the two recall another earlier meeting where they were on a cruise where somehow the richest man in the world had to share a cabin with a reporter. (laughs) It's my only problem with that story. Suddenly a fire breaks out outside and the two suddenly tell each other that they want to take a nap. It's like this thing is like 30 seconds from slash fiction already. (laughs) A burst of light through the window allows the two to see each other in full costume, but there isn't much time for chit-chat and they launch into action. Superman takes care of the fire while Batman saves Lois Lane. They then recall another meeting where Lois chanced upon seeing Clark changing into Superman. And Okay, let me see if I can get this right. Batman suggests that they confuse Lois so that they make her think that Bruce Wayne is Superman. Meanwhile, Superman dresses up as Batman. So when Superman, as Batman, gets knocked out by some kryptonite, Batman, as Superman, helps Superman, as Batman, Lois thinks he's Clark in disguise for the story, by the way, away, and later, Superman, the real Superman, flies Lois to Bruce Wayne. So the two greatest heroes on the planet spend a lot of time messing with Lois Lane's head. Good going, Superman and Batman. Elsewhere, the Atom Man heads back to a hidden cave where he recalls his own origin. During the last days of World War II, at least in Europe, a Nazi scientist named Dr. Teufel develops a serum that will allow the Reich to rise from the ashes. He injects it into a young uh, Nazi named Heinrich, and in short order, Heinrich is glowing green and filled to the brim with power. Teufel gives him special gloves, a control device, and even a nifty costume, and charges him to go kick Superman's ass for the fatherland. Unfortunately, the Reich surrendered the next day. That is a really dramatic origin for nothing. Uh, but Heinrich went into hiding and after a few months traveled to Metropolis where he got a job at the Daily Star as Henry Miller. In the days that follow, Superman and Adam Man, I wonder if he had a sidekick named Attaboy. <laughs> That's just what I really, really want. So Superman and Adam Man fought several times until finally they battle for the last time on a beach. And during that fight, Adam Man seems to die. And Superman buries him with the costume Teufel had given him that Adam Man wasn't wearing for some reason. Back in the present, Adam Man thinks of all the changes made to the world, including the name of the paper Henry Miller worked for, and then flies off to face Superman, thinking on that trip about how his powers have increased since his supposed death. Superman is at the stadium to face Adam Man, and soon the the two battle once again, with Superman trying to keep the fight physical, but Adam Man uses his kryptonite powers anyway. Finally, Superman grabs Adam Man and flies to the air where he vibrates. Adam Man is confused as why he would do this, and is more confused that the stadium below them is, is now empty. And suddenly the two f- figures begin to fall to the ground because Adam Man has lost his ability to fly. On the ground, Batman and Robin catch Adam Man with a net while the Golden Age Superman catches his younger counterpart. 
Batman and Robin of Earth 2 knock the hell out of Adam Man before the two Superman landed. It all comes out that Adam Man was created on Earth 2. And somehow, that's basically the only explanation given, somehow we ended up on Earth 1. And all of the thrashing to escape the coffin was what caused Superman's nightmares. They all shake hands and tell each other how great they are before Superman and Batman <laughs> head back to Earth 1 to the cheering crowd at the stadium. And that is the end. Now, just a nitpick for a moment, or actually just to, just to clarify, I don't want to seem like I'm nitpicking your synopsis, but just to clarify, the, the guys that caught Adamant out of the sky, it was, it was Batman from Earth 1 and the, the Earth 2 Robin. Yeah. I, just the way you read it, um, I, I just wanted to clarify, because it makes it sound like it was the Batman and Robin of Earth 2, but it's the Batman of Earth 1 and the Robin of Earth 2, because this was just post- the death of uh, of the Earth Two uh, Batman, because there's a, a reference somewhere here. Where was it? I can't find it on a quick glance. But R- Batman actually says something about you know the the bang up job Robin's doing. You know, filling mm-hmm. his mentor's shoes or something to that effect. But uh, so, what'd you think, man? Um, the writing in this issue was really, really strong, and the art was just amazing. Yeah. I, uh, I like. I've read most of the stories that were referenced in this issue, mm-hmm. but there's something kind of cool about seeing them redone by Rick Buckler, yeah. Rich Buckler. That it just it just makes me happy because it's not that I don't like the artwork from you know Kurt Swan's artwork or. Wayne Boring's artwork or whoever drew these original stories. It's just, it, it's kind of stiff at times. And to see it redone in, in a more quote unquote modern style, since this is like almost a 30 year old story now. Right. So that's not modern. Modern for the time, yeah. <laughs> but for modern for that time and modern to my sensibilities, uh, was just really, really cool to see. I, I, I dug the hell out of this. I've got, I've got like notes all over the place for this. Uh, beginning right on page one uh thinking that while it's odd i really like the power man costume and i don't know why because it's kind of silly it's orange <laughs> oh i think it's awesome i think i think it's a really cool costume because it, it, it it's it's almost like a combination of several other awesome costumes because it's very reminiscent of superman's own costume and then with the with the lightning bolt insignia and the helmet thing and all it reminds me a little bit of the uh the guy that would would power up the atom later on what was this? It's like cyclotron or something like that. Oh yeah, I know what you. Yes, uh, yeah, cyclotron. Yeah, so I, I think it's I think it's cool. The now the color scheme is a little wonky because it's basically Catman's color scheme, but it's it's still cool though. <laughs> I mean, isn't it, it? It it is Catman's color scheme, isn't it? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that is so goofy. He's still cool, though. See, I, I would like to see villains like this be around because I, I like, you know, rather than, and, and I know that this is one of your pet peeves as well, you know, Superman's rogues gallery is, admittedly, it's it's pretty weak, you know? He fights guys in suits a lot, or he fights guys like, you know, the friggin' Toy Man and Puzzler and Trickster and stuff like that. I think he needs more villains like this guy. And I like this, you know, I, I like this guy's, I mean, this guy's basically, he's the Nazi Captain America or something. You know, his, his, his origin is very much, it's like an amalgam of, of Captain America and Captain Nazi. 
Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's cool. Hauptmann Deutschland. Um, that's Captain German in German. So, ah. Okay. <laughs> that was actually a name of a character in the uh, in Marvel. Because uh, hmm. at one point it was like every country had a captain. Like there was a Captain Britain, a Captain America. There was a Captain German, but <clears throat> Germany. But it was Hauptmann Deutschland. So. There's me pulling something out of my ass. Um, <laughs> page three. God, that is an awesome shot of Superman flying yes. at the bottom of that page. Oh, I really like Rich Buckler's artwork. I really, really like his artwork. It's almost like you get... And I, and I know this is a little backwards in some places, but you get a little bit of Jack Kirby sensibilities, but it's like Neil Adams figures... Yeah, and and Perez studied under or was uh, interned under Buck, Buck, uh, Buckler, or however that worked. But I, I know think uh, I think Burn might have been too. So you get a little bit of of Perez in there too, but backwards because it, it was probably more of an influence of Buckler on Perez than the other way around. But it's just a very sleek style. Uh, I have a note later. Uh, in the issue, uh, there's a full shot. There's like a close-up shot of of uh, Adam Man's face, and he's completely covered. And I've mentioned this on Tales, but one of the reasons why I started liking the Adam as much as I did uh, the Golden Age Adam is Rich uh, Rich Buckler's artwork of it making the mask seem cool. Mm-hmm. Making it like you see the lines of the face under the mask instead of just this amorphous, you know, like, hey, it's kind of like, a, and I don't want to say this because it's not me insulting John Romita Jr., uh, John Romita Sr. Or, or Steve Ditko, but it's kind of like Spider-Man. Right. Where there's no discernible features under there. Yeah, it's just a, like an oval for a head. Yeah. yeah and, 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 and Buckler takes the time to actually, you know, make it seem like, oh, there's a face under there. So I really, 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 really like that. Um, page four. Damn, I miss this dynamic between Superman and Batman. I want to come back to that, actually. I want to talk okay. about that because what, what I I have somewhat of a rarity in my notes because I have the general synopsis. Basically, what I usually do is I have the general synopsis and then I have notes. And this time I actually have a section called discussion. There's there's one thing I wanted to talk about and, and I want to come back to it, which is basically both Superman and Batman as chums and Superman Batman as adversaries and, and just discuss that a little bit because okay. I'm with you. I kind of miss this era, but at the same rate, now after so many years, you know, of of what I still like to call the burn Superman where Superman and Batman didn't really dig on each other very much. Now it seems odd to me to go back to this era where they were best buds. You know, it, it does feel very strange And the, and the firefighter even comments on that, you know, that how the hell did these two get to be good friends, you know, which is true. You know, I don't think people during this period may have stopped to think about that, but when you think about it, is it really natural that these two guys would be so chummy and be such good friends? Yeah. Um, do you do you want to talk about that now, or do you want to get it? Yeah, I'd say let's come back to it after okay, uh, after we good. go through our notes. Um, pages nine to twelve. Um, 
I, I've not listened to this particular part of the radio series, but that seems pretty accurate to, to how Superman came upon Robin and the rowboat and all that. Mm-hmm. I think I have heard that, actually, uh, at least that part of it. Of yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've listened to one. I, I have like six discs of Superman radio series stuff. Uh, that my wife goes, that's all. Um, <laughs> but uh, and I actually bought it off of eBay for like ten bucks. And the reason why I bought it off of eBay is I didn't feel like going to that website and downloading them all because that would just eat up a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, to me, because it's just like, damn, I just don't want. Oh, okay, I'll just buy it. You know, screw it. But um, I haven't listened to this section. But years ago, like 1997, there was this tape at Titans that had a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez with Superman hands on his hip. And it was a weird tape because it was an interview with Bud Collier, who was the voice of Superman on the radio series. He was the voice of Superman in the Fleischer uh, shorts. And he was the voice of Superman on the filmation 66 Superman series. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly enough, the guy who did the voice for commissioner Gordon on Batman, the animated series was Superboy in those shorts in the sixties as well. So, but the, one of the episodes was that they had of the radio series and like had three or four different ones that didn't have a damn thing to do with each other. Um, but it was still kind of cool because I hadn't heard any at that point was, uh, an, an episode from this serial where they come upon the wax, uh, statue. And I was just like, God, I want to hear more of this. (laughs) But uh, no, but 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 it's really cool to see it adapted, basically. Uh, and I have to say this: as much as I like Buckler's art, I really wish there that somebody at DC at this point would have been like, "Okay, here is what the Earth Two Superman's S looks like. It looks like this because everyone seems to draw it differently." Yeah, and I prefer uh, what I call the Perez version that you would see in crisis, but that's just cause that's where the first time I saw it. So, um, I absolutely love the fact that Thomas tried to reconcile all of the different stories that told of how Superman and Batman met. He did he t- do a pretty good job. Uh, I, I, I found the problem wasn't so much him being able to reconcile. It was that his own writing kind of got in the way sometimes because he kept saying, so remember the first time that we got together? Oh, and then there was the first time we got together. Oh, and then there was that first time we got together. And I was like, look, dude, they can't all be the first time. You, you, you know, He's laying out a timeline of sequence, but then he refers to every single one of them as the first time. So it was a little bit confusing. Might have been a joke on his part, though. Oh, it could have been. could have been. Uh, really and truly. Uh, because that is the thing about the Silver Age in the 50s is that stuck for an idea they're like well let's talk about how superman and batman met and no one at the time i don't know if comic fans at the time really cared uh if you tried this shit today the internet would break in half but um (laughs) but they are trying this today that's i'm not going to get into that i'm trying to be positive i'm not trying to bitch about current comics anymore i'm not even reading them so why should i bitch god damn you dc comics um (laughs) 
But back then, it was just like, hey, this is how Superman and Batman met. Um, and then this is how Superman and Batman met. And, oh, by the way, this is how Superman and Batman met when they were younger in Smallville. Oh, and here's another story that Carrie Bates wrote uh, in The New Adventures of Superman, where they meet in Smallville again with a gambling ring and Pete Ross. Kind of like an adaptation of the movie Rounders, but with Bruce Wayne and Pete Ross. <laughs> kind of interesting though i could honestly see edward norton and matt damon playing bruce wayne and, and pete ross but that's just me um page uh, 27 uh, man i wish power man would have just killed steve lombard please just, just fucking do it he's almost god i hate him and i hate him now worse uh, i hate him worse now that i know that you hate him a lot too so i feel like i'm okay to hate him like somebody else dis- despises that son of a bitch too. <laughs> I was, He's just an ass. He is. He really is. And you know, I, I really wish, as much as I don't usually like this sort of thing, I actually wish that that like Perez and Wolfman would go back and and do some George Lucas kind of stuff on Crisis on Infinite Earths, for to, so that we could see the deaths of certain characters. You know, since since the Earths were all going to get wiped out and merged and all that kind of thing anyway, I, I would love to have seen the, the, the gruesome, horrible death of the Earth One Steve Lombard. <laughs> Where he's just running down the street and shadow demons are chasing him. I don't, but that's yeah. not how he gets killed. He gets killed some more. It's like he. It's like this Rube Goldberg way of yeah. of killing Steve Lombard, where <laughs> he falls down a flight of steps, and a bunch of anvils drop on top of him, and then that causes him to crash through the floor onto a room filled with spikes. <laughs> <laughs> and as he's as he's rolling through the spikes, he runs into like a bunch of gas tanks, and all of a sudden, this deadly gas starts choking him. And he runs, but he slips onto some sandpaper, and a spark gets off, and it unleashes a gas main, and he's just incinerated in a ball of fire. I could live with that entire scenario. <laughs> oh, man. That's that's wrong to really want someone to die that much. Um, personally, of all of the d- different versions of how they met uh, that are in this book, I like the one from Superman number 76 where they're Oh, the- really? Yeah, that that's that's the one I like the best personally. All right, here's my problem with that one. I I, I kind of like that story too except for one big problem. Yeah. Um Superman can see in the dark. So it's not that Bruce Wayne, richest man on the planet, has to share a cabin with somebody that he didn't like stuff a a roll of hundreds into the into the whatever a bellhop on a, yeah, on a ship would be. Yeah, see that part kind of bothers me too because you know John Jacob Astor didn't share a cabin with nobody, you know. <laughs> but still, I can forgive that a lot more than I can forgive the fact that Superman can see in the dark. You know, he's got like 27 different vision powers. You know, he can see like, like ants fucking on Alpha Centauri and stuff. So, you know, he can, he can see a dude three feet from him changing his clothes in the same cabin in the dark, you know, not to mention the fact that, Maybe not during this era, but, you know, subsequently we've seen, you know, the Batman has, you know, special vision things built into his cowl, you know, later on, 
probably not during this era. You know, he would have had to, you know, whip something off of his belt to put, you know, actually put on his face to see in the dark or whatever. But Superman definitely, you know, he's got what, you know, like infrared vision and all this other crap. So it's a little bit silly. But yeah, I like that one because that one is what most people, you know, think of as their their first official meeting. So it's nice to see that one. I, I think that one gets acknowledged a little bit more in this book, doesn't it? As as like yeah. the first like real meeting. I also love the fact that Superman points out, God, isn't it interesting that that was our first meeting on such a minor, like non-world shattering case? <laughs> um, pages thirty-three uh, to thirty-five, where they go over of Superman and Batman just fucking with Lois Lane, um, not. Literally, that that's there, I'm sure there's stories out there detailing that adventure, but the lowest lane of this era that these stories take place in bothers the piss out of me. She stumbles upon Clark Kent changing into Superman, and she goes, "So Clark Kent is Superman. I've seen it with my own eyes. What a story this will make." And that was Lois's trick during the fifties, uh, during the fifties and sixties, is that she wanted to find out to prove that Clark Kent is Superman, so that she could write a story about it. At the same time of professing to love him and wanting him to marry her, God damn, that pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to ruin this man's life? You know he's got a pretty good thing going on here. He's Clark Kent. He's able to walk amongst the people and have some downtime because, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, it, it's funny to mention that, you know, people are dying in rock slides while, you know, Clark Kent's catching a nap. But you know what? If he was Superman all the time, he'd be a prick. <laughs> he would be on edge all the time. It's like, thank you, Superman. Really? Thank you. I gotta go. And he flies off. Uh, well, that's but- why I like that. Uh, those, uh, Jerry Seinfeld Superman shorts so much because there was a one part in there where where you kind of you see Superman on his downtime where he's just talking to his buddy and he says something about you know can the world just stay saved for like five minutes please <laughs> I love that because you would think that that's how Superman probably would really be in real life he'd get a little bit I would imagine he'd get a little bit tired of it after a while being called on for every little thing you know cats stuck in trees and stuff you know kind of like Mr. Incredible in the uh, first scene of The Incredibles, where he's like, can the world stay safe for just a couple of minutes? And he takes off the microphone and tries to leave. But, but yeah. Maybe that's I mean, what I'm thinking of. Maybe I've got my references wrong. I thought that Superman said something like that, too, when he's he back in, in Seinfeld's apartment in that, in that, I think it was the first one of those uh, American Express commercials. God, I hope I'm not remembering that wrong. I think the first one was when they were walking down the street, but I think they do have a conversation like that. But um, it just it just bugs me because, and and I know it was written for eight year olds. I realize that, but we're reading this now, and you know how I feel now is going to come into play. And, and the point is, is that I guess she expects somehow after ruining his life by exposing his secret identity, putting everybody he cares about, the entire daily planet is like, got a, you know, I just pictured Perry White after printing the article and thinking about it, just goes out and paints a big old target on the front of the globe. <laughs> after doing that, she expects him, Oh, he'll marry me now. 
Yeah, because that's how it's going to work, lady. Oh, just, but there was a thing on the radio series that actually leads up to the Adam Man story, uh, where Kryptonite, as a lot of people know, first came into the public's consciousness on the radio series. Mm-hmm. It, there was a story, the K-Metal from Krypton, that Jerry Siegel wrote, where uh, Kryptonite is basically introduced into the comics, and Superman and Lois are caught, or Clark and Lois are caught in like a cave-in, and he reveals his identity to Lois, and at the end of it, they're like, well, we're going to be partners now, I'm going to help you, and you can continue your fight for truth, justice, and all that stuff. So, this is before the American way was added to it. So, DC's like, no, we're not doing that. Sorry, we can't. You know, that that's a great idea, but we can't have Superman revealing his secret identity to Lois, because that's one of the shticks that we play with every month. So, so they shelved that. So it comes on to the radio series, and about a year, about a year, two years after that, uh, a storyline started where Clark Kent sees an obituary in the Daily Planet for this notice, noto- noted astronomer named John Whistler. And Whistler was the man that discovered kryptonite on the radio series and had promised for the good of the war to basically keep it in a safe in the museum he worked at so that, you know, the enemies of America couldn't discover it. Well, since he's dead, Clark is suddenly worried about people finding the kryptonite and his life being put into danger. So he goes home. He's all upset. Lois and Perry are like, hey, what's up with Clark? Let's go see him. And he sits down and he tells them the story of the last days of Krypton. And it's basically a note-for-note retelling of the first episode of the radio series, which was, you know, Jor-El saying Krypton is doomed and then putting him into the ship and him being launched off. But it's also the first example, to my mind, with the exception of Superboy, uh, who I don't even think had come around by this point, of, uh, I'm getting my dates mixed up, of a retcon in a Superman origin. Because in the second episode of the radio series, the rocket ship lands and Superman springs full-grown and in costume. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, in this one, he says that the rocket ship was found by a kindly farm couple. And and they're like, <laughs> Lois goes, who was that? Well, they were the oh oh, uh, uh, they were they're just dead now, so don't even worry about that. So Clark tells them all about the kryptonite, right? He tells them, I don't want Superman's enemies to discover this kryptonite. Perry White's like, ah, that's cool. I'm on the board of governors or whatever for the museum. I'll go in the morning and get it. So they leave, and Lois writes the fucking story. And puts it in the Daily Planet. <laughs> and I, and when I heard that the first time, I'm like, that fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't normally use that word, but it was just like, Jesus. <laughs> so Lo- so Clark calls her. It's like, Lois, why'd you do it? Oh, Perry and I thought it would be a great story. And, and Clark's like, don't you realize what you've done? What if somebody reads that? Oh, Clark, that's not going to happen. At which point, I wish... And I wish Clark would have said this in a lot because there are a lot of times where Clark says something and they're like, oh, that's just hogwash. He's like, Jesus Christ, we've been working together for three fucking years now. Everything I've said has come true. When are you going to put some stock in my word? (laughs) You stupid bitch. (laughs) She really says nobody's going to read that? Nobody's going to. It's a goddamn newspaper. 
Isn't that the whole point? Not so much nobody's going to read it, but nobody's going to do anything about it. Like, they're going to read it, but no one's going to think, hey, let's go steal it. And that's what fucking happens. So everything that has to do with the Atom Man in the radio series is Lois Lane's fault. You know, by all rights, especially back during this era, I I think by all rights, Superman honestly should hate both Lana Lang and Lois Lane (laughs) because they were both psychotic bitches from hell, man. They were always pulling shit like this on him. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm sorry that that took so long, but it's just that's all that flies in my head when I see this shit. So. (laughs) <laughs> um do you want to do your notes up until this point before i get into the uh the differences between the comic book origin of adam man and the radio or sure or me to go into that yeah I'll, let me uh run down this list real quick because I, I don't have i don't think i have near as many though one of the things now i realize you know that it's got to be difficult for the writers to come up with different ways for characters to address each other you know especially when it's it's really just two main characters you know to constantly call each other superman or batman or bruce or or clark or whatever but still i always get a kick out of old comics that rely on the old friend thing you know because <laughs> i mean honestly i have a lot of old friends i've never once said old friend to any of them you know but I actually kept a tally in this issue that I thought I would just share because I, I it tickled me. We've got three old buddies, one old friend, only one for this issue, two friend, and three pal. And I just thought that that was worth pointing out because who the hell talks like that? <laughs> All right. So page four. Let's see. Page four, panel three. All right, we've got the uh, the firefighter here. When Superman shows up, says, I'll see what I can do. You know, they've got this raging four-alarm fire. You know, there's people, I'm assuming there were people trapped in the building and stuff. The firefighter actually turns to Batman and says, hey, Batman, do we really need an outsider like him horning in? I'm like, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Superman, you asshole. You know, he's here. He's going to put it out in like two seconds and save lives. What is your fucking problem, you know? I got to take that little girl out of the fire, not him. Bastard. It seems to me Gotham City could take care of its own. Well, all right. If you want to be there all fucking night putting a fire out, you know, I guess. But I don't know. I love stuff like that. Do we really need him horning in? Yeah. He's Superman, dude. I want the scene later that night when he goes home early and he's all pissed off. His wife's like, what's wrong? Uh, well, Superman came in and put out the fire and I didn't get a chance to go in there. And she just slaps the shit out of him <laughs> going, I worry about you every time you go out there. And now you're complaining because you didn't put your life on the line. <sighs> I'm going home to mother. I do like the uh, the thought balloon. I don't know if it's the same firefighter, but on the next page, uh, there's that one firefighter that says uh, something about it. He goes, uh, now that I think about it, it's hard to believe those two have enough in common to be, uh, he calls them cronies, to be cronies for so long. <laughs> which is, which is kind of true, I think. We'll come back to that a little bit later. 
All right, this was the one I got a real kick out of. Let me flip to it real quick here. Page uh, page sixteen at the. Uh, wait a minute, it's not page sixteen, or is it? Yes, it is page sixteen. <laughs> at the conclusion of the time travel story about Robin traveling back in Superman's past and meeting him as Superboy and saving his life and everything. Um, Batman says, of course, we're wiser about time travel now. And Superman says, yes, we know you can't change the future and that I have found a, I would have found a way to survive that bomb on my own. But Robin still meant well. And I'm like, you know, you can write it any way you want to. He friggin' changed history. And it, I just got a real kick out of that whole part. Because yeah. he, he clearly did alter the flow of history. And that's... You can't change the future except that time. Right. <laughs> except when we did. <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, the identity that Bruce Wayne took in that uh in that story where uh where he was actually living in Smallville for a time and was hanging around with Lois Lane and all you know he had he took that cape and cowl and had you know like a like a superhero identity for a brief time he was the flying fox i got a real mm-hmm. kick out of that and zorro is the fox so that all <laughs> makes sense page uh 18 i like the uh it's really just a couple of panels. It was at the bottom of page 18 and then the beginning of page 19 where we see the, the Daily Planet staff learning about Batman for the first time. You know, in the headlines, mm-hmm. mysterious Batman foils crime in city and they're, they're all kind of talking about it and speculating about the Batman and stuff. I thought that was really cool. Um, let's see here. Page 22. <laughs> all right. At the end of this... This story, which, again, was another one of those first meeting type of stories between Superman and Batman. Now, this was the story where uh, Batman got sprayed with liquid uh, kryptonite, which, you know, weakened him and took away his powers and all that. So in order to pull a fast one on the bad guys, he and Superman, or excuse me, Superman and Batman, they basically, they just switch outfits, because this was at a time when Bruce Wayne and, and Clark Kent were basically dead ringers for one another. So Batman's wearing Superman's outfit, rushes into the room, and the the bad guys open up on him with, with what look like Tommy guns, except they shoot the liquid kryptonite. Now I'm thinking now, just about any other time, even knowing that Superman is bulletproof, the bad guys still try to shoot him with bullets, just just to be on the safe side, I guess, <laughs> just just to make sure. So, ultimately, I figure Batman is pretty goddamn lucky that he didn't wind up pumped full of lead in this scenario. I think he took a real a real gamble that they would shoot him again with the uh, with the liquid kryptonite well, and not well, bullets. Well, they do mention in the later story that I covered where they were messing with Lois's head that, um. Superman's costume is bulletproof, so he was getting shot, That's but the bullets right. were still bouncing off of it. But still, yeah, one good shot to the head, and the Dark Knight career, Dark Knight's career is over. Well, then again, though, even I forgot about that, and you're right that his his costume was bulletproof back then. But then I'm looking at the bottom of that page, and they're both wearing a Superman costume, so he was 
he was still only wearing a fake one then, right? Or was it like some spare? I, I don't know. It's going to make my head hurt thinking about it. <laughs> now, I didn't make a note of what page it was, but I think it was right after Superman gets thrown to. Yeah, here it is. Bottom of page 29 when he's helping Superman out of the out of the crater that he made after he fell out of the sky. He says, uh, Batman thinks to himself, who am I kidding? Right, uh, right now, soups couldn't go three rounds with Mighty Mouse. I hate it when people call Superman soups. But I really, really can't stand Batman of all people calling him that. I just, I really don't think that Batman would, would reference Superman that way. I just don't. I don't see Super, uh, Batman being the the nickname kind of guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, not at all. Now page uh, 33, I'm pretty sure that the footnote that they give at the top of the page is wrong. It says that this story, because Batman says, uh, you know, they've just, they've just done the recap on the Superman 76 story. And then uh, Batman says, of course, we didn't really become a full-fledged team until later. And he starts to tell this other story, the one that you were talking about, where Lois catches Superman changing and all that. Now, I looked, and I don't have any copies of this story, any reprints or anything, but I did a little bit of checking online, and judging strictly by the names of stories and by the cover that's on the issue, I'm pretty sure that the footnote should say World's Finest 71 and not World's Finest 200, because that would have been years down the line from the other stories that they were referencing, so I just wanted to point that out, but... uh, that's uh, that's it for my notes on this one. Um, getting into Adam Man's origin, uh, I, I was actually surprised. Well, not surprised because Roy Thomas is, is pretty good about this kind of thing. So the the origin as given in the comic is pretty close to the origin as uh, given on the radio uh, series. There's just uh, uh, some of the differences come that you just can't adapt that much material. Because that story I was talking before about Lois Lane, uh, it leads into this woman named the Scarlet Widow coming into possession of the Kryptonite. And she splits it into four pieces. And she's going to sell it to three of Superman's deadliest enemies. The Laugher, Papa Rausch, and Der Teufel. uh, Which is German from, yeah, it's German for the devil. I don't know why I was uh, like a Norwegian there for a second, but I do apologize. <laughs> it's, it's it's in the morning and my accents aren't quite. So, but Der Teufel actually steals his piece, and through a very circuitous route, goes back to Germany. Now, this series was being broadcast in October and November of 1945. Superman was a daily series by that point. And this is post-World War II. The Allies are occupying Germany. So having the story in the comics take place right at the last days, uh, you know, right before VE Day, basically, and having in the actual story being much later in the year, that's the first major difference uh, that I I noticed uh, between the two. Uh, second, <clears throat> the solution that Teufel created 
and injected Heinrich with, because that that's directly from the series. It was one of the scientist's sons that stepped forward to be the guinea pig for this super soldier Captain Nazi project. Uh, it put him in a coma, and that was basically so you could have that like dramatic cliffhanger ending. Is he going to wake up? Tune in tomorrow for another startling episode of The Adventures of Superman. Uh, third, Heinrich, as Henry Miller, got a job at the Daily Planet because Clark had been temporarily fired. <laughs> Apparently this is something Perry would do every once in a while when he when Clark, Clark just wasn't showing up to work because he was off trying to search for where the kryptonite was. And Perry White's like, I'm going to fire him. He's fired. And Henry Miller comes in looking for a job at the behest of Der Teufel, and he gets the job only because Clark Kent was fired that day. So, <laughs> and the actual storyline involving the the Adam Man was was much uh, much more extended than this. They did have a big fight on a beach, but at the end of that battle, Adam Man had basically exhausted his abilities. And he, but not before killing Der Teufel, because Der Teufel had actually killed his father earlier in the serial. Uh, for you know, he's like, uh, "You've killed my son," because he thought his son was dead when he was in the coma. And he goes, "I'm going to run. I'm going to run and tell the Allies what's going on." So Der Teufel chases after him and shoots him in the back. So <laughs> uh, Adam Man kills Der Teufel, and then after all is said and done and burying Superman because he thinks Superman is dead. And there's like this entire episode where they're arguing back and forth. Superman is not dead. I tell you he's dead. Superman is not dead. Well, I tell you he's dead. Look, see, he's dead. Nope, not dead yet. (laughs) Swear to God, like, like five to 10 minutes of that. Um, They were missing a script page and waiting (laughs) for it to be written real quick or something. (laughs) So, uh, so the so Heinrich Henry goes off into search for a way to get his abilities back, and he comes across this. Uh, uh, God, what is his name? I've just I've just I've been listening to it for the last few days, but I cannot remember this fat guy's name, um, who is a former Nazi agent who's now that was very wealthy, and he hooks up with the Atom Man and gets another piece of kryptonite from the Scarlet Widow. They inject it into Henry. Henry becomes the Atom Man again. They capture Superman. And this is this is this is this dude's big plot, by the way. Is that they capture Superman, Atom Man zaps him with the kryptonite, but doesn't kill him because that because using that much energy would waste all of his uh, kryptonite powers. So they go into like this basement basically and they're just gonna sit there until Superman starves to death. <laughs> that's the plan. And uh, Adam Man just like, eventually has enough of this shit. After like three days of Superman sitting there going, oh, oh, he's like, I'm getting out of here. And the other man's like, no, you're not. You know, sit back down. And they fight eventually. And, 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 and Adam Man kills him and his Asian manservant and runs off to destroy Metropolis. And that's basically where I am now in, in the re-listening to it. But it's just like, wow, that's pretty freaking epic, even if it's kind of silly. <laughs> but it's kind of cool to see it here. Uh, he didn't have a costume, really, in the radio series. They draw one, 
on the uh, the book and the CD covers for the the Smithsonian Historical Performances series of CDs that put out like three box sets mm-hmm. of Superman radio series. Uh, as their cover, they have him in like a green monk's robe with a uh, iron helmet and gloves. So uh, kind of glad that they didn't go for that for this because the Power Man costume works a lot works a lot better but yeah that's basically the the radio version of the series which uh this is a much abbreviated version of that i wonder ultimately why he even bothered to bring up the thing about the power man robot because it really doesn't seem to (laughs) i mean does it mean shit in this whole story really no not really i mean do you think he was just really trying to tidy up everything and maybe he was afraid that Somebody'd write in going, "Hey, I've seen this. You know, I, I I just don't know." But ultimately, I didn't really understand the thing with the robot. I I, I think he would have been better served in this story to just, you know, just kind of forget it. You know, let it go, and hopefully, nobody, you know, not too many people would notice or care. Um, little note on page thirty nine. Mm-hmm. That looks like Perry White. In that picture, um, I thought that was supposed to be George Taylor, and I thought they looked different from each other because this is the oh, Daily Star right. Earth too. So I don't know if George Taylor also smoked a cigar, but that seems a little too convenient. Um, page forty-one. <laughs> I love Superman's line here. Now, why don't you be a good little Sieg Heiler and? <laughs> And uh, also on page 41, that anguished look on Superman's face yeah. when he dies. I'm sorry. This is the Superman in 1945. He would have buried him, but that's an Earth-1 Superman look. We talked about this before. The the, the, the Earth-2 Superman would have been like, well, that's kind of unfortunate, but eh, let's tidy this up. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Now that you say that, I, I do like that art, though. Uh, I like the look on his head. But you're right, especially with this guy being a Nazi and having just tried to kill him and everything like that. Yeah, I think he he would have been more like, well, that son of a bitch got what he deserved. Okay, page forty-two. Uh, he he finds the 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 Adam Man costume that Der Teufel had created for him to shield people from. You know, to shield the radiation until he absolutely needed it. So if this suit is kind of made of lead and it shields radiation, why is it hurting Superman just to be next to this guy? Or is he just unleashing his power all the time? Hello? I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking here to try to... Okay, so he put the uniform. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so he put the uniform on the guy and then buried him because it shielded so the, him from the radiation. Yeah, so the uniform he's wearing now should be that same. You know what? He even says that at some point in the story, doesn't he? That oh, he's got a lead uniform because I can't see his face or something mm-hmm. like that. I guess just because his hands are exposed. So the kryptonite that he's giving off, or the radiation he's giving off, is coming from his bare hands. I guess. I guess so. That's it's still it. It just maybe I'm just re- being too nitpicky here, but that was just something that kind of popped up in my head as kind of like what the huh? 
So, no, I, I mean, it's, it's a good catch, though. It is a good catch, but I'm, I'm thinking that it's – what it's doing then is it's uh, – well, I don't know. I was going to say I think it's, it's making him focus his power, focus his radiation through his bare hands because his hands are the only things that aren't covered. But then again, you look at page 44 where Superman's doing the, oh, kryptonite you know thing, and he's all hunched over, and – Adamant's got the high pro glow around his whole body, not just his hands. So I don't fucking know. Um, page forty-three, that fourth panel. That was what I was talking about with uh, Buckler's artwork. Uh, the, the mask looking like it's actually on a face. Yeah. Oh man, that's just well, plus two. You can tell in different instances with the masked face where he's just standing there with his mouth closed, and then other ones where you can imagine he's you know he's got his mouth open and he's yelling, you know, "I'll get you" or whatever, you know. So that and like in that picture, it specifically looks like he's in the middle of saying something. I like that. I like that a lot. Page forty-seven. Hate it when people refer to uh, the Superman of Earth Two as Superman Two. <laughs> hate that because it just sounds stupid you know it's not a respect thing it's just right. wow why don't you just call him you know thanks a lot superman i mean the other superman's not gonna think batman's talking to him right um it could be worse thing- it could call him like old superman or something <laughs> like that <laughs> but I agree with you. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that any more than I, I like soups or bats or I, I just. I've never liked that shit. It irritates me. Uh, last note: Why does he have more powers on Earth One? Because it's awesomer on Earth One, don't you know? I don't. I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. Well, you know, I mean, maybe. You know, I was only kidding when I said that, but maybe there's actually something to that. Maybe there's actually something where Earth One is more more awesome somehow because you know, you look at uh, what's her face, Black Canary. You know, she she you know packs her shit and moves from Earth Two to Earth One. Suddenly, she gains the Canary powers and all that. So, who the hell knows, man? I mean, and I think. Although I can't think of one off the top of my head, I think there have been other characters that when they crossed over, they gained some sort of ability or something. Am I just making that shit so does up? Does that mean Jay Garrick gets faster when he goes to Earth 1? <laughs> or that the Earth 2 uh, Superman is more powerful that. on Earth 1? Maybe that's why uh, the Alan Scott was able to recharge his ring uh, off of the central battery, because it's Earth 1. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's another one of those instances, honestly. I think it kind of works the opposite way. I think it's another one of those instances where Earth 2 just always seems to get the shaft. Somehow it's just as <laughs> awesome and not as cool and they don't have all the fun, cool shit, you know, in their mythos that, that Earth 1 has. Because Earth 1 is always, always played up as it's newer, it's hipper, it's got more shit, you know. Everything's more powerful, you know. Earth two, well, then you know that's the that's the retirement home Earth, you know. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's that's a, just a guess, but you gotta you gotta. I guess that's why villains from Earth one don't go over to Earth two to pick on everybody because their abilities will be lesser. But man, those villains from Earth two should be just pouring into that dimensional barrier. They do too. I mean, a lot of the the Earth Two guys seem to go over to, and it's like Earth Two'd be the last fucking place I'd go. 
<laughs> you know, if, if I was if I was a halfway decent villain that had come anywhere close to ever capping a hero on Earth One, I think I'd pack up and move to Earth Two because you probably stand a, a, a good chance of being a top tier villain over there. You know, mm. everybody's older, everybody's slower, they're not as powerful or whatever. You know, so you could take somebody that's a second stringer villain on Earth One, and they they might be you know big time shit on Earth Two, but. I don't know. I'm reaching. But uh, long story short, damn, I loved this. I really, I enjoyed yes. the hell out of it. Goofiness aside and, and some of the wonkiness in the story and all, I still got it. I, I get a kick out of stories where Superman fights somebody on his power level. Mm-hmm. And it's not some just lame ass, you know, silly villain that's making him jump through some sort of puzzle hoops or something where it's somebody that Superman can duke it out with. And not only does he duke it out with the guy in this one, but it, it's it's drawn spectacularly, you know? It, it's drawn by a villain that... Or, yeah, a villain. A, an artist, rather, that really... <laughs> that really... Uh, you know, makes the fights dynamic. It's not mm-hmm. stiff, and it's not... You know, it, 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 he's really dynamic. I like, uh, you know, as much as I absolutely love Buckler's Superman, you know, Buckler's Superman is what won me over to being a Buckler fan. But I really noticed for really for the first time in this one, I think Buckler's Batman is awesome, too. And I think it owes a, an awful lot to uh, to Jim Aparo. I see a lot of Aparo in his Batman. It, it's, it's like Aparo and Neil Adams had a kid. And it was yeah. Rich, and it was Rich Buckler. Yeah. Because uh, he's that. got... Because he's got like kind of the face, the 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 face of the Neil Adams one, but he's got the swirly cape action that Aparo would always do. So, yes, I agree with you completely on that. I just happened to open the page to, as I'm flipping back through this, looking at the art, and I just happened to come to page 26 where Superman pulverizes the Daily Planet globe. And all of the citizenry is still standing there looking up into the sky as all this dust comes down. I'm thinking, ow. Yeah. Ow. I don't want it's metal like, dust getting in my uh, eye. Ow, oh, ow, oh, ow, oh, Superman. I mean, I'm glad that a big chunk of masonry didn't hit me in the head and kill me, but <laughs> ow. Ow, is there a flushing station nearby? I mean, I'm imagining that things, it's supposed to be made of metal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, isn't this why you you know you wear safety goggles in the machine shop and stuff so you don't get like drilling shavings in your eyes and shit like that? Ow, I just hate to think about that. But uh, I think that's about all I got on this one. But damn, did I I really I really did enjoy it this. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So what I mean, what do you what do you think about the thing of uh, Batman and Superman as 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 chums? You know, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. It's it's like, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, I'd watch the Super Friends and they were they were good friends and that always just, you know, it, it made sense in my head that, you know, Superman and Batman are best friends because they're the two biggest heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and DC has to offer. And then after like you said 20 some odd years of of, you know, being into the post-crisis Superman, it, it, it seems a little weird to see them together. I remember uh, two things spring to mind 
uh, right off the top of my head. One, I remember what a big deal it was for Superman and Batman to meet in the animated series, Superman the animated series. Yeah. That world's finest one. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I was talking about this with, with my friend Shag at one point. I'm like, why were we excited about that? It's not like we hadn't grown up with those two being in animated form together all the time. He's like, well, it was the animated series version, but that was a huge deal of those two meeting up. It's because I think we anticipated a fight, which is what we yeah. got. I think that was the big difference because it's funny you should say that because I had the same thought several years back of why was that such a big deal? Because like you say, we grew up where in a, you know, at least I did. I grew up in an era where world's finest was on the stand. They teamed up all the time. They were on the Justice League together, and they were good friends. They frequently crossed over into each other's stories and, and titles and stuff. You know, uh, Superman was in uh, Brave and the Bold at one point, you know, and, uh, and all these different things. So why was it a big deal? And I think it was a big deal because it was the first big, you know, post-crisis thing in other media where suddenly they weren't chums, where mm-hmm. you really did expect that they were going to meet up and they weren't going to like each other. And there was a possibility they were going to throw down and then it happened and then they fought, you know, and I think that's yeah. why. And I love that fight. Oh, yeah. Because Batman flips Superman. And that look yeah, nobody face, saw it coming, yeah. yeah. And the look on Superman's face when he hits the ground, it's like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And, everyone, and and I remember talking about this with people, and they're like, oh, yeah, Superman got owned. I'm like, nuh-uh, because <laughs> he came back like a freaking linebacker and put Batman into the freaking wall. Breaks every bone in his body, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also it springs to mind Superman Secret Files and Origins number one. And the main story in that is a college friend of Clark Kent stops by and sees the Kents. And he's wondering how, you know, you know, how Clark turned out to be such a nice guy. And they start talking about Superman. So uh, at the end of the story, Batman, it turns out that the guy was not his friend. It was Batman in disguise, just trying to figure out why, how Superman turned out the way he did. I remember the story, yeah. You know, Superman, you know, it's like, you know, you have all these powers, but you turned out to be a pretty decent fellow. You know, my entire backstory is angst and, uh, and my parents were killed and my childhood ended at age eight and I became Batman at that moment. You know, that whole thing. And at the end of it, Superman turns to leave and then he stops and he goes, you know, this is the time where I usually leave and we don't talk. Why don't we just sit down? And he turns back into Clark Kent because this was during the Electro Superman era. He turns back into Clark Kent and they sit down and have a cup of coffee. And I remember reading that story and going, are they going to start having these two be friends again? And thinking that was a big deal. That was like a significant story that no one talks about. Mm Mm-hmm. In that era. And after that was when they started being a little more buddy-buddy in the comics. Right. But And to me, that makes perfect sense that after a while, these two would stop being such jackasses to each other. Right. Because like, like before that, when those two would show up, it's like, oh, damn it, it's Batman. I hate him. You know, he, he's a vigilante. He takes the law into his own hands. Not like me. At least the mayor's got my back. Until he gets thrown out of office, but still, you know, well, and Batman, 
like he's the dirty alien. Don't trust him. And I'm like, oh god, I hate that too. <laughs> See, I wonder how other people feel about them, you know, currently and in, in the relationship that they have. Because I don't have a problem with them being friends. You know, by by the point of Infinite Crisis, they had finally become friends. But I think it should be the process we saw, where they start out as basically as adversaries. And it is a long process of them getting to know each other and feeling each other out and and finding a common ground where they can get along and, and actually forge a friendship rather than, you know, they meet on a cruise ship and, well, I'm Batman, well, I'm Superman, well, let's be chums, you know, because that that's all very nice and it's very innocent and all, but I think that's also very much, you know, of its time. I, I don't. I don't see the, for one thing, that's just not how Batman was back then. I I think if like this story we just read, if this was the angsty Batman, you know, the dark and brooding and, and, you know, the, the Miller Batman, I don't think that they would have been chums even at, even at that time, Mm -hmm. because they would have been so very different. But Batman just wasn't like that back then. He was more of a superhero. Yeah. And so it doesn't seem like such the stretch that they would get along like it did, you know, post-crisis. But I I like how they did eventually come together and everything. But I I wonder how – I'd like to hear from some of the listeners on that Mm -hmm. because I'm really curious how people feel because I remember when uh, the Public Enemies DVD came out and I raved about loving it so much. I mean, I really like that. That's been my favorite of those direct to DVD DC movies so far. I really really dug it. And I remember some of my friends kind of giving me shit about it and they were like, you know, it didn't bother you at all that Superman and Batman were like totally gay for each other through the whole thing and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? But I come to realize that some of the people that were seeing it that way were and I hope this doesn't come off as condescending because I don't mean it that way, but I think they were young people that didn't have the perspective I did is that at one time they had been chums, you know, pre-crisis. They had been real good buddies and everything, so I didn't see anything weird or gay or anything in there. I saw it as they had finally come together and now they were friends and they didn't have the adversarial thing going on anymore. They had more of a, of a grudging respect for each other and, and, you know, and an honest friendship. So I was seeing something there that, that, that other people didn't seem to see. And they were seeing something there that, that I wasn't seeing. So that's why I say, I'm curious what. My other problem with that is, have you not read the comics that they came from? That's how they were in the comics at that time. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that that was a pretty faithful adaptation of that comic book yeah. series. They made some changes, uh, some necessary changes just to the flow of a movie. Um, but, you know, they hit all the right beats of that story. I'm sure they eliminated Superboy and, and that Sorel Supergirl abomination and uh, Natasha Irons being in there because she was the steel at that point because John Henry yeah. was dead. And, you know, you had Nightwing and Superboy and... <clears throat> Robin and Batgirl, you know, so you had the, the, the representatives from, you know, both sides of the families, but you couldn't throw that into that movie because that would have just made a mess of everything. Right. Well, <laughs> evidently I didn't, it didn't make that big of an impression on me on the original story because I didn't miss it in the DVD. I mean, because <laughs> I mean, I read the, the stories that that came from 
which is why I sat there, you know, biting my nails and anticipating Captain Marvel through the whole movie. And when he finally showed up, I about shit myself, you know, because I was like, oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> but I didn't remember the story so well that I missed things like, you know, if, if there's a thing with Sorel in there, then I totally don't remember that at all. So that's just as I, well they jettisoned some of that shit. You know, it's kind of my, my final. Hold on. See? podcasting in the raw um <laughs> it's but, his girlfriend uh, folks doesn't the want what? You it's, it's your girlfriend friend oh you yeah. ass. he doesn't want you to know that folks but uh don't make me call you out about something on the air oh. um, <laughs> um, my girlfriend never calls me during the, what the, hell are you talking about? the um my my final thought on that subject, though, is I'm okay with them not being friends because one, I'm used to it. I'm okay with them being good friends. I, you know, I, I kind of think it's funny to read these old stories. Not funny, but I think it's kind of cool to read these old stories, and they are they get along so well. The only thing that bothers me is when Batman's paranoid about Superman, and that just irks me to no yeah, end. Yeah, I don't care. You know, when he's telling Robin, you know, don't trust the alien. He can't be trusted. He's going to, no, that's Lex Luthor. That's not you, yeah. Batman. You know, you know, don't like the guy, but don't sit there and become like, you know, the, the dude living out in Arizona with a bunch of freaking cats that doesn't believe the moon landing ever happened. You know, the, 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 the you're about five <laughs> seconds from, Oh, it. it's so funny you bring that up. I'm sorry. I know this is a complete tangent, but it's so funny you bring that up because, uh, yesterday in English class, we, uh, we're discussing our our final assignments going to be uh you know our la- we're, we're it's an essay writing english class and our last one is going to be um argumentative and we have to pick a subject and uh and basically the the really the the way the teacher came down to it was that you know find something you're you're passionate and all these people are like I don't know what to write about and so finally i was like what is wrong with these people you know I was like, look, isn't there something in the news or something that you, you hear that just really pisses you off? And the teacher was like, that's perfect. That's perfect. You got to find something that pisses you off. So I already knew going into that what I was going to talk about. And it's the moon hoax thing that you just brought up. That's what that's what oh. made me think about this because nothing pisses me off more than those fucking nut jobs that think that the, that it didn't happen. So that's what my what my paper is going to be about. Uh, the, do you guys get the National Geographic channel? Uh, yeah. See if you can find it on here, because me and my wife, or my wife and I, excuse me, uh, we're, and I've seen the special like several times, and it's basically National Geographic had an hour-long special where they interviewed all of these people who said that the moon landing was a hoax and they go through it point by point by point. But much like the nine 11 conspiracy special that the history channel did, what the, what the producers did was let the crazy people talk and then let the real science people explain why they're full of shit. Right. And it, and, 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 and it's just like, my favorite was they introduced one of the guys, he goes, and self-taught engineer. And I just, it's like are you kidding me the biggest guy no shit had a leaf blower and a pile of dust to show why the moon landing was a fake because it would have kicked up more dust landing on the moon well the thing that kills me is that i see them spending so much time and energy and and thought and everything on this and they make to a point, 
a pretty good case. I, I, I'll give them that. The problem is the biggest flaw, and I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody actually point this out, is that they're working to disprove Apollo 11, the actual landing on the moon. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Okay, Apollo 11 never happened. Uh, excuse me, there were six more fucking missions, you know, five of yeah. which landed on the moon, you know. So how are you going? What's your case for those? It's you know, and that's where it all falls. Ap- yeah, well, that's where it completely falls apart is is after Apollo 11, you know, that, that there's no way. There's no freaking way that we didn't go to the moon. So, but I'm looking forward to writing that. That would be a lot of fun. And I'm sorry I completely changed that, that, it. In that's okay. I, ju- I just hope you're prepared for the if these if you actually have to read these papers in class and discuss them. Uh, the pissed offness that you're going to feel by these young kids picking something out of the news to complain about, and you just just telling you. That's all right. I don't mind getting physically violent in the classroom. <laughs> Well, that I'll was pull a, a fucking one. Geraldo Rivera and throw a chair at somebody, I swear to God. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of thecomicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com and is a registered trademark of Demonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Excelsior, Spider-Man fans! We're Thomas Mattis. And Donald And we want to invite you to the most web slinginest podcast around. The Spectacular Webs Podcast. A podcast dedicated to one of the best animated superhero shows on television today. The Spectacular Spider-Man Animated Series. Where we review each episode of the series. We dive into music, art, and story. And web and special guests for interviews. All in our own slapstick comedic chatter. So if you're looking for one swinging podcast about your favorite web slinger, zip down to the Spectacular Webs Podcast at www.spectacularwebspodcast.podmatic.com. Or search us out on iTunes by typing Spectacular Webs in the search box. And please remember to leave us iTunes reviews when you go to iTunes and fan mail at spectacularwebs at yahoo.com. So until then... Stay spectacular. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous.
half, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Oh, no. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle station! What are you scratching at? Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle station. Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. like a job for Superman.
Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Just the two true freaks. Dicks as long as your arms. Beats all you never saw been a flapping their jaws since the day they was born. Crapping on bats, a downloading films. Well, someday Demonzo might get them, but Green Cap never will. Making their way the only way they know how. Well, that's just a little bit more than good taste will allow. Just the two true freaks treated like they was dirt. A throw in a tantrum like a two modern day Captain Kirk's. I'm Captain Kirk!